Glad you can make it out here this morning to join us. Matthew chapter 15. Real quick update. Uh, I know some of you went up with us to Dearborn. I've been emailing with the man up there in Dearborn and trying to get something set up here for August to hopefully get some more details soon. Some of you have expressed interest saying when you head back up there to Dearborn, let us know. Uh, as you know, we go up there and uh, have a ministry, hopefully, of getting a chance to talk to the Muslims up there. God's a real doing amazing work up there. I shared with the group last week. I'll share with you guys again real quick. They had a VBS up there. And as you guys know, in the first week of July, we went up there to get a chance to go door-to-door to invite them to VBS. He said on the first day of the VBS, there was over 120 Muslim kids and parents showed up. And it's just a neat thing to see what God's doing and moving up there. Like I said, we're hoping to head back up in August. If that's something that interests you, see me, let me know, and we can keep you in the loop on that. But we're going to be in Matthew 15 this morning. Let's do the smart thing. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would teach, we would listen, let your Holy Spirit lead, guide, and direct. Help us to learn of you, to grow in you, to go deeper in you through your grace, through your mercy. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen. If you weren't with us this last Wednesday, the focus of this last Wednesday was about how the walk with Christ was going. We just finished up our study in Chronicles, and we decided to go into Lamentations. Lamentations is kind of the final book of that, if you will. It shows what happened to the nation of Israel. We talked about how Judah, the kingdom of Judah, looked good, sounded good, acted good, but their heart was far from the Lord. This is the same thing that's happening here this morning in Matthew 15 when Jesus is teaching. So the question I want to start out with is, how is your walk? Now, what does that mean? If you look up the word walk in the New Testament, it's used dozens of times. The idea of that represents your walk with Christ. It's a little term we use. Now, walk denotes effort, that you're putting effort into it. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking anything about being saved by works. No, you're saved by Christ and by Christ alone. But now that you're saved and walking with the Lord, the effort that you're putting into that to grow and go deeper in Christ. Also, walk denotes having a destination, that there's a plan, there's a purpose to what you're doing. Now, there's two ways to look at your walk with the Lord, outward and inward. The outward walk is really easy to fake. The outward walk can look really good. You can show up on a Sunday morning. You can fill a seat. You can say the right things. You can say the right things to the right people. You can do the right actions. You can worship. You can serve. You can say, hey, I'm praying for you. That outward thing, and we would never know a difference. We're not talking about the outward walk today. What I want to talk about today is the inward walk. Only you and Jesus Christ know. That's why it's called a personal relationship with Christ. I am, Dawn and I are going to be married here 20 years in a week, and I tell you, I love her, but you know what? It's Christ in me that have that relationship together that brings me into salvation to eternity. And it's my walk with Christ. I can encourage Dawn and her. She can encourage me with mine. I can encourage you guys. You guys can encourage me, but ultimately, it's a choice you make. Now, the outward, once again, it's really easy to look good, but we're talking today about the inward Just you and Christ alone. How is that relationship going? How is that walk going? Matthew 15, verse 1. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, it's really easy to skip over those verses and just kind of say, Okay, that's setting the tone. There's so much in those first two verses. First off, number one, they're coming from Jerusalem. Where's Jesus at? Jump back to verse 34 of Matthew 14. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret. That's about 70 to 80 miles away. 
70, 80 miles. So just put this in perspective. If you were going to drive someplace 70 to 80 miles, it's going to take you about an hour and a half. That's driving an hour and a half. These guys are walking 70 to 80 miles from Jerusalem. That is a very long trek. And why are they walking 70 to 80 miles? Because they were that angry, they wanted to have a confrontation with Jesus. Haven't you ever seen that? The effort people will put into having a fight. They want a fight so bad. And the effort people will put into having a fight and the effort people will put into staying angry. It takes a lot of energy and effort to stay angry. It really does. You have to keep refueling that fire. You have to keep analyzing the situation. You have to keep analyzing their words. You have to keep wondering what they meant. You have to keep replaying it. Because you have to keep that fuel going. So for 70, 80 miles, they're walking from Jerusalem to Nazareth to confront Jesus. What do you think they said on the way, right? Oh, I can't wait till we get to Jesus. I'm going to ask him about washing hands, right? You ever had those little anger fantasies? If he ever says that to me again, so help me, this is what I'm going to say. If she comes up to me like she did last week, I'm not going to put up with this time. And if she says that exact same thing again, we play these little fantasies out in our mind. We get ourselves all worked up. We're always angry. It takes a lot of effort to put into fighting and anger, and yet I've got to keep refueling that. But it feels good at the moment, doesn't it? That righteous anger. See, the problem is righteous anger can become sinful anger very, very quickly. There's nothing sinful about anger in and of itself. It's when you let anger start to control you. And the problem is we disguise anger. Now, I'm the type of guy that likes to talk through a problem. That, that's me. Dawn does not like to talk through a problem. Now, I use the term talk through a problem. That sounds very graceful. Sometimes it's a little louder, it's a little more aggressive than just talking through a problem. Talking through a problem makes it sound like Dawn and I are sitting down with a cup of tea with flowers in between us and saying, let's talk this out. I remember when we got married, we'd probably only been married maybe a year or so. And we were no kids, no nothing. We were talking through a problem. And Dawn wanted to quit talking through the problem. So she says, I'm going to bed. I'm going upstairs, I'm taking a shower, and I'm going to bed. So she goes up and jumps in the shower to get ready to go to bed. She made a huge mistake. She did not lock the bathroom door. I came in while she was in the shower, and I talked through the problem. And she sat there, or stood there, I don't know. She couldn't get out. Problem is, in my flesh, I feel things have to be dealt with right away. We've got to deal with this, and I'm going to talk through it. Sometimes the Lord says you've got to work through it later. And really what it comes down to is it's me and Christ. It's not letting bitterness. It's, not, it's, it's under having a heart of forgiveness. These guys are so angry they're coming to Christ. Why are they angry, verse 2? Because Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands right. That's why they're angry. They walked 70 miles to tell Jesus' disciples, you don't wash your hands right. Now, before you think this isn't a big deal, this is a huge deal. Now, the Bible only makes a couple quick references to washing your hands. Only a couple quick references. The problem was the Jews took this and ran with it. They have something called the Mishnah, which is an oral tradition. You have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is the law. That's what we have in the Bible. The problem is the Jews took this and they added things to it. So there's only a couple references to washing your hands in the Bible. Just a couple quick references. But what they did is they added to it. They added to it 345 times. 345 rules on washing your hands. 
And when you had to do it, you had to wash your hands after sleeping or napping. You had to wash your hands after going to the bathroom. That makes sense. You have to wash your hands after leaving a cemetery. You have to wash your hands before a meal if bread is involved. You have to wash your hands after a meal if you used a certain type of salt. And they just added all these rules to it. 345 extra little things on how to wash your hands. And this doesn't even stop there. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. This is why when you read in the New Testament, Jesus is always so angry at these Pharisees and Sadducees and the extra rules that they created. Great book if you're looking for a study book, The Jesus Chronicles by Jack Abelin. It's a great book here. But he talks a little bit about this. He says there were 613 Old Testament rules and laws. We know that, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But this is what they added. Just to give you an example of what Jesus got frustrated with. On the Sabbath day, you could not look in the mirror. The reason you couldn't look in a mirror on a Sabbath day is because if you saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it out. And that would be work. True. You couldn't wear false teeth on a Sabbath. Because if they fell out, you'd have to pick them up and that would be considered lifting a burden. You could not spit on the ground on the Sabbath because the dirt would become mud and that would be considered irrigating the soil. There's 186 pages on how to be clean. There are 35 pages alone on how to wash a pot. This is what Jesus was upset about. So when they come here and they talk about the traditions of men, they're not talking about Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They're talking about what they have added over the centuries of extra things. And Jesus says, enough, enough. Because look what he does, verse 3. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Please note what happens here. Verse 2. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Remember those words. Elders and their tradition. Jesus in verse 3. Why do you transgress the commandment of God? See, he goes, listen, you're listening to elders who have traditions. I'm trying to teach you commandments of God. That's completely different. Completely different. You don't need to listen to the traditions of the elders. You need to listen to the commandments of God. Now, we have to stop right here and ask, what carries weight in your life? Is it the traditions of elders, or is it the commandments of God? Now, before we stop and say real quick, oh, of course, it's the commandments of God. It's not the tradition of elders. Listen, we know there's a lot of groups that still have a lot of traditions. And those traditions of elders carry a lot of weight, in some cases more than the word of God itself. That's still around today. Okay, but that's not us here, obviously, right? But the problem is sometimes we have a tendency to listen to the elders more than the commandment of God. What carries weight in your life, man or God? I hear this all the time. Somebody's struggling with the situation. They come up to me and they want to talk to me about it. And they say, well, I was talking to this person and this person says I should do this. Okay, well, what does God's word say? Well, I don't know, but I was talking to this person and this person thinks I should do this. Okay, so you're listening to the elders. Well, no, 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 this person's a great person. They love me, they care for me. That may be true. But only thing we need to stop and focus on is that the commandments of God, what are you allowing to carry weight in your life? The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize my opinion matters nothing. Give scripture. Say, this is what Jesus would do. This is what God's word says. How often do we say, well, my opinion is, well, if you're asking me, no, I'm not. What is the Lord? The best thing you could do for me as my brother or sister in the Lord is point me back to the commandments of God. The best thing I can do for you is to point you towards the commandments of God. Because that is what matters most. It's just getting to the truth of what God's word says. 
So what does Jesus say right here? Verse 4, For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you may have received from me as a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. What Jesus is saying is this, is listen. The commandment of God says this, Honor your father and mother, but this is what you guys have done. You've added to it. There's a term it's used in the book of Mark called korban. Korban means dedicated to God. So what would happen 2,000 years ago? You're a well-to-do child now. You've grown up. Your parents come to you, and they say, we're really struggling in life. We could use some help. We need a place to stay. We could use this. We could use that. And they would look around at everything you have, and you would say to your mom and dad, I'm sorry, I can't help you. All this that you see here, all my house, all my possessions, they're korban, dedicated to God. But the catch being, it's dedicated to God, but I'm still going to use it. So therefore, I can't give it to you. So therefore, I am honoring my father and mother, but the traditions of men now have given me an escape clause. Now, the thing is, we still do this today. Lord, I'm yours. Every part of me is yours. I will hold nothing back from you. Every possession I have, my car, my house, my everything is yours. Lord taps on your shoulder and says, do you see that person in need over there? You have extra, let them. Oh, I can't, Lord. I'm going to use that. I, I, I got that set aside for something. I got it set aside for a, a rainy day. I got it set aside for my, my future, my whatever, whatever that possession or amount is. And the Lord says, wait a second. If you're dedicating it to me, if it's mine, then I should be allowed to determine where that need goes. Remember, what does the Bible call us? The Bible calls us bondservants, slaves. Christ is our loving master. What bondservant or slave would go to the master and say, yeah, that's mine. You, you can't come in my house. Those are my possessions. We've got to be careful that we don't do the same thing. That, Lord, I love you. Everything is yours except this possession, this possession, that amount of money, that thing. Or, Lord, everything is yours except my free time, my weekends, my evenings, and my heart. See, he is saying, Jesus is saying, I want all, not because he's jealous. The Bible says he's jealous for us. He wants what's best for us. And so therefore, he wants everything and he wants our heart. And that's why Jesus, in verse 7, one word, hypocrites. See, these guys look good, sounded good, acted good. If you jump back in time 2,000 years ago and you saw these Pharisees and Sadducees, you would look up to them. They're at the temple, they're following along. They're praying, they're fasting, they're giving. They would have it all looking good. They look great. Except their heart is far from the Lord. That's why Jesus says in verse 7, hypocrite. Hypocrite literally means actor. You're playing a part. You show up at church and you play a part. The world sees you. That's all they see of you. So that's what they assume you are for that hour on a Sunday or that hour on a Wednesday or when you happen to minister throughout the week. And Jesus says, we're getting right past the outward now. We're going to get right to your heart and say what's going on inside of you because you're acting. It's interesting, this word hypocrite, it's a very special word. It's used 20 times in the New Testament and it's only used by Jesus. Now think about that. Only Jesus uses that word. Why? Because he's the only one that can tell the heart. See, we think we can tell. We can't. I, I've had people get really upset at me sometimes. Really upset at me. Because they'll come up to me and say something about somebody. And I'll say, you know what? I, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? 
You see them. You know they're faking it. You know this. I, I don't know. Yes, it sure looks like the evidence shows that it's not right. But the real answer is I don't know their heart. Oh, come on. There you are. You're just defending this. No, I'm not. I don't know. You're right. It sure looks that way. And the Bible says, by your fruits you will know them. And I understand what you're saying. And it sure sounds right that they're not right with the Lord. But only Jesus himself used the word hypocrite. Because that specific Greek word, because he's the only one that knows for sure. Yes, they sound good. They look good. They act good. But the heart? Guys, I can't see the heart. I can't. See, and here's the thing about the heart. Heart's a strange thing to figure out. If you were with us Wednesday, we made this point, so forgive me if you've already heard this. We have a tendency to say a lot of times, I know in my heart that I love them, or I know in my heart that I'm doing what's right, or I know in my heart, fill in the blank. Here's the problem. Jeremiah tells us this in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitfully wicked. No one can know it. God says, I alone know the heart. You know what that means? Sometimes I even fool myself. So when I sit there saying, I know in my heart that I want to do what's right, God says, yeah, James, I know your heart, you don't want to do what's right. But I do, Lord. Yeah, but I can see your heart better than you can even see your heart. But Lord, I'm sure of it. See, in Matthew 7, what did Christ say? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal? Did we not do miracles in your name? And Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. They sounded good, they looked good, they acted good, but where was the heart. That's what we have to stop and ask, is where was that heart issue? That's why it's so important in Psalm 139 that the Lord says, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And before that, it says, search me and try me, O Lord. See if there's any iniquity in me. Because God has to come and say, James, I know what's going on in your heart more than anybody. That's why Jesus can say here in verse 7, hypocrites. He could see through this. Do you realize what that would do to the crowd around him? I mean, seriously, these guys just walk 70 miles and they have their beautiful robes. They look good. They sound good. I mean, these are the hierarchy of the time. And Jesus just looks at them and says, hypocrites. They're faking it. Verse 8. Well, did Isaiah the prophet say about you saying, these people draw near me with their mouth. Honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus says, listen, you draw near me with your mouth. You honor me with your lips. But guess what? Verse 8, I don't have your heart. You're saying the right things. You may be doing the right things. You're acting the right things. But your heart is not there. Now, guys, we have to stop and really focus on this. Because this is not the only time Jesus brings this up. He brings this up repeatedly through the Gospels. Is this concept of saying, listen... I don't want your outward righteousness. I don't want your outward acts of obedience. He goes, I want you. I want your heart. And what has happened today, we base so much of our relationship with Christ on what everybody else thinks of us. I must be okay because I put on a really good face. The Lord says, let's work all through that and let's get to that heart. So find you sound good in public, you look good in public, you act good in public. How is your walk with Jesus Christ going inwardly? How are you and Christ doing inwardly? Because if you look at verses 8 and 9 one more time, fine, you're drawing near him with your mouth. Fine, you're honoring him with your lips. But their heart is far from me. Your worship in verse 9 is vain. Verse 10, when he had called the multitudes to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. 
Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, that defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you not know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. A couple things here, verse 11. Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about what you do on the outside, but it's what's on the inside. We'll get back to verse 11, so just put a mark on that. We'll get back to that. You know what the problem is when you speak the truth about the heart? Verse 12. Do you not know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I've gotten yelled at, screamed at, and cussed at by both believers and non-believers. And in the 20 years I've been in ministry, believers get more angry at me than non-believers do. Because a lot of times when the believers come, they think, okay, I'm struggling with this issue in life. I'm going to go to Pastor James. He's loving, caring, handsome. He'll, (laughs) He'll care. So they come to me. They open up their heart. And I'll say, you know what? This is what the Lord says, though. This is what God's Word says. And sometimes what God's Word says can be an admonishment. It can be a rebuke. And what happens is people come expecting me to jump on their side. Well, I'm just going to stand for what the truth is. Well, then that comes across as taking the other person's side. So verse 12, then they're offended and they're angry. And Jesus said, guess what? That's what's going to happen when you stand for truth. You're going to go into work tomorrow and stand for truth, and people aren't going to want to hear it. You're going to talk to brothers and sisters in the Lord that's going through a difficult time. And if you take a stand for truth, they're not going to want to hear it because they just want to hear what they want to hear. I mean, isn't that the way it is? I just want to hear what I want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. The Bible calls that I have itching ears. I've only had one person ever be honest with me about that. Years ago, I was counseling with a gal, and she had an issue. She came and she told me about it. Her issue did not line up biblically, and I said, this is what the Bible says about it, and she was really angry about it. So I said, okay, so here's the information. What are you going to do about this? She was honest. She goes, I'm just going to keep going around talking to people until I find somebody who agrees with me. That's honesty. See, a lot of times we get offended when we hear the truth, so we don't want to hear it. So therefore, kill the messenger. In the Old Testament, it was literal. Kill the messenger. Remember that when you read the history books in the Old Testament, and you hear about these guys like Nathan the prophet going in to confront David? That took a lot of guts to go before the king and confront him publicly about his sin. You know what's really neat about that, though? The Bible lists all of David's sons later on. Guess what David did later on? Named one of his kids Nathan. Made an impact on him. Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Have you ever just been angry because somebody thinks they're right? Oh, you want them to get caught. You want them to find out. You want the world to know. And God says, what does he say? Verse 14, let them alone. Oh, I hate that. Jesus said, let it go. Let it go. They're wrong. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Let it go, and eventually they will fall into a ditch. Oh, and I can't wait to see it, right? You know? No. Because when they fall into a ditch, what are you supposed to do? The first person sticking your hand down there to say, I love you in Jesus. Let me help you. But let them alone. You know how hard that is? For me, who likes to talk through problems? Oh, that's tough. 
I was just listening to a question-answer thing here. There was a bunch of different uh, Calvary pastors that got together, and they were just trying to talk about the history of stuff. And one of the things they brought up was Chuck Smith and how he's changed, how much he changed throughout the years. And one of the things that they talked about how is as he got older in life and in ministry, people would come to him with these problems and these situations and this doctrine, and we have to do something right now. And Chuck would say, let him alone. They'll fall into a ditch eventually. Problem is, people don't fall into a ditch quick enough for us, do they? Think about it. I, I've been doing ministry for about 20 years, and I, and I see the cycle. I see the book that gets really popular. gets really popular, and as you start to study out, it's like, yeah, this, this, this isn't a good book. Guess what? It dies off in about a year or so. And then next thing you know, the other book comes up, and it's like, oh, this is really popular. You've got to read this book. It's the most amazing book that's ever come out. And then you read it, and it's like, yeah, there's some things in here that I don't think are really good. And guess what? That dies out. Because eventually false teaching falls into a ditch. Eventually somebody who is not having their heart right with the Lord falls into a ditch. That's what happens. And the Lord says, let it go. Verse 15, then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. See, Peter says, I got some questions about this. Does this mean that you never correct? Does this mean you never rebuke? No, there's time for correction. There's time for rebuke. The Spirit leads, and sometimes that needs to be done. And when that's the Lord leads you to do it, you do it. But in this instance right here, Jesus says, Hey, guys, just let this go. Verse 16, Jesus said, Are you still also without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. See, verse 17, do not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. Jesus says, listen, I'm not worried about the outward stuff. What comes in is going to go out. I don't worry about that. He goes, I'm more worried about what's coming out of your mouth. I'm more worried about what's coming out of your heart. That's my concern. Now, be careful. Don't take verse 11 and verse 17 and take it out of context and say, well, then it doesn't matter what I do, what I eat, what I drink, what I smoke, what I ever. Because Jesus said himself, it doesn't affect me. In the context of this passage, he's talking about the traditions of men. He's talking about the rules of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's not making a point here about life. So just be careful that we don't take that and run with that. Christ says, I'm more concerned about what's coming out of your mouth than rather how you wash your hands. So what is coming out of the mouth? Because what comes out of the mouth is really just a glimpse right into your heart. It's a window into the soul. So what do we got? Verse 19. We have evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. Now I want to do a little bit of compare and contrast here. Can you go to Galatians 5, 22 and 23? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. That's the fruits of the Spirit. You guys know them. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let's do a little bit of compare and contrast. Now, what I want you to do is this. We're talking about what comes out of the heart. We're talking about what comes out of the mouth. We're talking about the inward walk, the inward man of God. Okay. What describes you better? Verse 19 of Matthew 15. Evil thoughts. You know what the problem with an evil thought is? No one ever knows it. 
You're the only one that knows it. You're talking to that person face to face. You're smiling. You're saying the right thing. They have no idea what you're thinking in your head. None. And it's amazing how we can walk through public, we can walk through church, we can walk through home, and our thought life can just wander to things that are not good or godly. But the problem is no one will ever see it from the outside. Christ says those are things that come out of your heart. We need to be careful. Next one, murderers. I'm making the assumption, I made it at the 830, that probably no one here has ever killed somebody. But according to Jesus in Matthew 5, sinful anger is the same as murder. You ever been that angry at somebody? That anger that just eats you up and destroys you. God knows that. He sees that. Adulteries, fornications, looking at things you shouldn't look at, be it in person, be it in magazines, be it online, your mind wandering to the flesh. God says, I know those things. That's going to destroy you. Thefts, false witness, taking things that aren't yours, false witness, uh, saying things that aren't completely true, those half-truths, those white lies, saying things about other people that shouldn't be said. That one gets a lot of us. We have a lot of little half-truths. Here's an example I always use of the half-truth story. This would have been years ago. It's probably my first year of being a pastor out here. We used to have the Saturday morning men's prayer time that we did. And it started really early. Before I took over when it started, uh, Jim used to do it at like 6 a.m. Then we moved it to 6.30. And by the time I took over, it was like 7 o'clock in the morning. So it was right when I took over, and I really wanted to make a good impression. So I really wanted to make sure, you know, I'm the first one there. So I got up running late. So what had happened was, made me late. I had a phone call that morning, and then I also got, there was a train. And so therefore, just got there to the prayer meeting late. So I showed up. It's like, sorry, guys, I meant to be here on time. You know, phone call, train. It was like, yeah, we understand. You got a lot going on. Hamler, trains. It's like, yeah, went on with it. And the Lord then's like, so phone call, train, huh? Well, yeah, that's the truth. It did happen. I did have a phone call. Phone call happened. It took about 10 seconds, but the phone call did happen. And there was a train. I was about a quarter mile, half mile from the track, and the gates just started going up. But there was a train. There was a train. The Lord says, what are you doing? Lord, that's the truth. Phone call, train, false witness, white lies. You worry more about what other people think of you than what I think of you. Think about that. We worry more about what other people think of us than what Jesus Christ thinks of us. So we spend this time putting on this false front, this fake front, this false witness blasphemies, verse 19. Jesus says, I know your heart. I know your heart. So that's 19. Evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Is that what's coming out of the heart? Now let's jump over to Galatians 5, 22. Because this is what's supposed to be coming out of the heart. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Greek word, agape, a God-given love, a love that only God can give you because there are certain people in this world that are unlovable. And God says the only way you can love them is through me. Through me. You may work with somebody like that. You may live with somebody like that. You may be married to somebody like that. You may have had a child like that. The only way you can love them is through God because they're not worthy of love. God says fruits of the Spirit love. Next one, joy. Oh, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If you do not have joy in the Lord, you will not have strength in life. Have you ever seen that Christian walking around defeated? 
they probably don't have a lot of joy because their joy and their strength are combined. Our joy is not based on external circumstances. Our joy is based on Christ and Christ alone. Next one, peace. God says, I'll give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. That means no matter what you're going through, there can be a peace. Well, that doesn't make sense. That's why it's called a peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. That's why when I go visit people in hospitals or hospice, maybe literally days or hours from death or going in immense pain, they can still have joy and peace because it doesn't make sense because it comes from the Lord, not their situation. Long-suffering and patience. Oh, that's hard. That is hard to do, to have that patience towards people. Kindness. Just kind words. Sometimes I, I even look at our house. And I think of the words there that we use to each other and to the kids. It's like, wow, Lord, help us to have soft words towards each other. We wouldn't say those things. We wouldn't say it in that tone to anybody else. Goodness, just do the right thing. You've heard me say this many, many times before. When somebody comes into my office and usually says, Pastor, I don't know what to do. They usually explain the situation and I usually say, well, what do you think you should do? And almost every time they already know what they're supposed to do. The Holy Spirit is already leading us into what the right thing to do is the good thing to do. One of my rules I say to my kids after I drop them off is, guys, just do the right thing. I trust the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to do the right thing. Faithfulness. Faithfulness in your walk with the Lord. Not faking it, but a faithful walk with the Lord. Gentleness. Some translations, meekness. We've reached a point in society today where we almost honor harshness. I'm just a straightforward man, and you need to get used to that. I'm just blunt. I tell it like it is. Well, according to the Bible, gentleness and meekness says, yeah, we're not supposed to be that way. Speak truth, but speak truth in love. Like we mentioned earlier, Jesus said, let them alone. But the Bible also says there is a time for admonishment and rebuke. But we do it in gentleness and meekness. Lastly, self-control. Anytime someone ever comes up to me and says, I'm sorry, James, but I couldn't control myself. If you're a born-again believer in Christ, I will lovingly interrupt you at that moment and tell you, yes, you can control yourself because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. I would lovingly tell you that. So anytime that pops up, and we hear people say all the time, well, I couldn't help myself, I couldn't control myself. When they said that, it just made me so angry. When she did that, it just made me so, I couldn't stop. Yes, you can. Self-control. Let's just remind ourselves of this. Matthew 15, verse 19. What is your walk? What is coming out of your mouth? What is coming out of your heart? Verse 19. Evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, or Galatians 5, and 23. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Jesus says, I'm concerned about the inward man. I am not concerned about what everybody thinks of you. I'm not concerned about your external outlook on life and how good you look when you come to church, how good you look and sound when you pray. Because I'm not concerned about that. I'm not concerned about what people think. Because I want you. I want your heart. Can we reach a point today where we can stop and say, we can quit being fake. We can quit being hypocrites. I have never seen a hypocrite have real joy in life. Because they're always making sure everybody thinks the best of them. Like I said earlier in the message, we care more what man thinks of us than what God thinks of us. Listen, this is not a message to pick on you. This is not a message to attack you. This is a message to say the most loving thing we can say is be real. 
enough of the fake, enough of the false front. The Lord knows what you're like. What needs to change? Can you go with me as we finish to 2 Corinthians 13, please? 2 Corinthians 13. This is a verse that we used on Wednesday. 2 Corinthians 13. Great straightforward passage here. It says this. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? I'm going to read out the New Living Translation, same verse. I think it does a real good job here of saying this. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. How is your faith? How is your walk with the Lord? Can we be honest and just really come and ask the Lord, Lord, how am I doing? Not not what other people think. How am I doing, Lord? What do you see in my life? Psalm 26 says this, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Once again, I love how the New Living Translation says this, and this is what I'm going to finish with. Listen to this words. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives in my heart. That's what I want to end with right now. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives in my heart. How's the walk going inwardly? How is the relationship with Christ that no one else sees? That's Jesus' focus here in Matthew 15. He goes, I don't care about washing your hands. He goes, I care about your heart. He goes, I don't care what robes you wear. I don't care how much prayer and tithing and whatever else you do, Pharisees and Sadducees. He goes, I want your heart. Same thing today. He says, I want your heart. He's loving you enough to say, this is not going to bring you peace and joy in life. Can I have your heart? The question is, do you want to give that to him? Josh is going to finish this up here with a, a special. While Josh is doing this, I want to be available to pray with anybody that wants to pray. He'll lead you out in prayer. He'll lead you out in prayer. I'm going to be right over here to my right, your left, if you want to pray. Come on up and pray. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about why are he or she going up. This is between you and the Lord. And if you just say, well, James, I just want to pray, but I don't really want, I don't need to pray with you. I just want the Lord. You can pray silently in your seat. At the first service, we had some people come up here to the stairs, to the altar, and they just prayed alone with the Lord. While Josh is finishing out with this song, I want you to listen to the words. They're good words. I'll be available up here to pray if you want, or you can just come up and have a quiet time of prayer with the Lord. I won't be back there to shake your hands. I love you. I'm glad you came. And I just want to ask you, how's the walk going inwardly? Inwardly. Let's pray. Lord, as we just come to you now, we want everything you have for us. We want that inward walk to be strong. We don't want the Matthew 15, 19. We don't want that anger, that bitterness, that, that, the, that adultery, fornication. We want purity, Lord. We want Galatians 5, and 23. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and self-control. We want the inward man to be made new in you. We want to be everything you have for us. Lord, this message is not about Harvest Fellowship or this church today. This message is about your individual believers sitting here right now hearing this. 
Help us to become the men and women you've called us to be. Open every closet door in our life. Search everything out. Get the junk out that we may be focused on you, Lord, to have a heart like you. And we lift this up in your name, in the name of Jesus. I'll be over here to the right. Dawn, you want to come up and pray with me? Dawn and I will be over here. Feel free to come join us for any type of prayer that you may have. Feel free to come up here on your own. Like I said, we'll be back there to shake your hands. Glad you can make it. We love you guys. Listen to the words and just let these words minister you. Josh, you can close us out with prayer when you're done. Okay?